Um, we're going to dive into Philippians. It's our last Sunday going through the book of Philippians. And <laughs> <coughs> Thank you, Steph. Although it is in my lungs. I'll see if I can pour it down. Um, Philippians. Last week, Paul has arrived at the end of his letter. He's in prison. He's writing a letter to this group of Christians that he loves. And he's kind of giving some final exhortations, some final encouragements before he rounds out the letter. And so let me read uh, our passage for tonight, and then we'll, we'll take it from there. <coughs> so self-conscious of this now. Rejoice in the Lord always. As again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Thanks, Dev. And what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, Paul, Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So, Steph mentioned it earlier, but what we're going to do this evening is chat about dealing with anxiety. Dealing with anxiety. And um, let me just say that um, my wife Michelle and I uh, both uh, have uh, anxiety disorders. Mish was diagnosed at age six. I was kind of diagnosed about four years ago. Um, So we've both been on and off meds over life. I'm currently on meds, although prepping for this yesterday, forgot to take my meds yesterday. So I double dosed this afternoon, and we'll see how that goes. Um, But I know that many of you are, many of you, if not most of you, are struggling with anxiety in some shape or form. I mean, I've had several conversations with a lot of you, um, and so I know this is uh, a very real, tangible thing in this community. And um, I had the unique experience of being a sort of student pastor uh, at Rondebosch for a couple of years, and for the four years that I was doing that, from 2015 to 2018, I read at the beginning of my time there, um, possibly one or two students in total would have chatted to me and said something along the lines of... um, I've got anxiety, I'm struggling with anxiety, etc., etc. By the time I left, um, I would say easily one in four students was using the word anxious to describe their life, their, their situation. They were seeing counselors, they were on medication, etc., etc. Um, I'm hoping it, that wasn't my student involvement that was a part of that, um, but it, it, it's not because the, the, the graphs keep showing it globally. Um, but honestly, 60% of the law faculty at UCT when I was there in 20, when I was leading students in 2018 uh, was said to be diagnosed with anxiety. 60% of one faculty. So it is, a, it is a, uh, the other pandemic that is, that is happening across our globe. It's been happening before uh, COVID ever arrived on our shores. And so here's the plan for tonight. Um, I want to take a, a, a chunky time talking about anxiety. Honestly, probably about 40% of my message will just be um, talking with us about how did we get here? What's happening? Why are the anxiety rates spiking all of a sudden, pre-COVID even? And then we're going to look at this text and unpack the three promises to believe and the five commands to obey. These are things from God that he has given us to help us deal with anxiety. I don't want to say crush it and, and be completely anxiety-free. It's going to look different for every single person. But there is a process and a journey that he has for us, um, a sort of a path of renewal that he, that he desires for each and every one of us. Um, and so I'm trusting that he'll do amazing things tonight um, as we preach from his word, but also as we spend time praying for each other later and being open to the work of the Spirit. I really do trust that, that, um, that, God, will, that God will work among us. So, 
let's go. Let's talk about anxiety, um, everybody. Uh, there's lots of millennials, lots of Gen Zers as well in this room, and um, this is a really important thing for us to all talk about. So why are we anxious? Why are we anxious? I want to chat around this. Um, the first one is an obvious one, COVID, okay? Like right now, if there's, a, like many of you are struggling, many of you know people who are struggling. COVID is huge. Just think about it. There's a fear of you, yourself, dying. You've got fears of loved ones passing away. Uh, many of you have already dealt with loved ones passing away. There's just general stress from COVID. There's relational and family tensions, um, not least of all from lockdown where we were all stuck in each other's space. And just because of the general stress, um, grace is just low. It's just true. There's massive financial insecurity. Many people in this community have had massive ups and downs financially over the last year, and that has massive impact on our mental health and anxiety. Everyone knows the phrase now, which didn't exist about 14 months ago, zoomed out. Everyone knows what zoomed out is, and it's real. Um, there is so much extra um, stress that it is brought about because of screen time and Zoom. You, you, you cannot read body language and gestures, and so that actually creates and releases um, hormones that affect our stress and anxiety levels. There's a lack of personal interaction, obviously loneliness. Because of all of this stuff, there's just an increasing sense of loneliness. So COVID is huge, number one. Let's bank that, okay? But as I said earlier, um, COVID will one day hopefully go away, and we will still be stuck in the other pandemic, which was there before and is going to be there after, which is just this rising tide of anxiety that comes from general life worries, general life worries, sickness, death, money, finances, life change, season change. Uh, that's one of the biggest triggers of anxiety in anyone's life is just a, a season change, having a kid, changing school, moving city, whatever it might be. Rising crime rates, physical, emotional, and sexual abuse in your past, maybe even right now, that is going to cause massive anxiety. Gender-based violence, it's a huge thing. Women just simply not feeling safe to walk down the road is a massive, massive cause of anxiety. And Paulie and I were chatting. We actually want to say, if, if any ladies in this community, um, after a Sunday meeting, do not feel safe to walk to your car, please come and chat to us. We will find gentlemen to walk you to your car. We want to, we want to do our part to, to serve you in that way. You add on to this work and school stress and just a massive thing of performance anxiety, okay? Let's just take work. People are working so much harder than they've ever worked before. Why? Bad economies, unemployment rates, you can't, you can't stuff around. You need to, to, to make it work. You add on to that comparison and materialism. You're seeing all your friends' lives and all the things that they're spending their money on, travels and, and new this and new that, and you're like, shucks, if I want to get that, I need to burn the midnight oil to earn the cash. So that's causing us to have more work anxiety. Plus, we've massively linked our identity to our careers in a huge way, in huge ways. There's just this performance anxiety that we have to keep producing and, and, and climbing the ladder, whatever it might be in whatever sphere it is. That puts immense pressure on on your mind, on your heart, on, on your life. And school, I'm blown away by the amount of pressure on young people these days, the amount of extracurricular activities they have to do, um, and compared to when I was growing up. Like, I, I'm seeing Michelle, who's, who's, who's busy, not here tonight, she's busy doing reports for two-year-olds. Two-year-olds. She's been doing it the whole of last week, and she's doing it for the rest of this coming week. I don't think I was graded as a two-year-old. When I look at, I can go back and look at my primary school reports. They are probably one fifth of the length of a two-year-old's two report right now. There is immense pressure to get into varsities, to, to make careers, to not wreck your life, all that kind of stuff. It is huge, the amount of pressure on young people. So those two things in general. But now I want to camp out and talk about this next thing, because there is a world that we all find ourselves in um, and 
are increasingly a part of. And it's just the massive shifts and culture that we are finding ourselves in, particularly the next generation. So if you are born, let's just say it's not quite the Gen Z mark, but after 1990, a lot of the stuff that I'm going to mention now is going to be, um, you'll recognize it. You'll definitely recognize it. And it's going to be coming up more and more and more as the next wave of varsity students comes into our church and shores over the next few years. So you'll probably get anxiety by the time we finish this, uh, this, this list. So here we go. What, what is this world that we find ourselves in? Hurry. The pace of life, just, just the pace of life is adding to our anxiety. You put after that South Africa political racial tensions, okay? We've got past and present failures that are, that are really a, a pressure point and frustration that is, that, is, that, is, that is building up, adding to anxiety. You've got corruption and failing institutions both here and all around the world. You've then got massive Western and U.S. culture wars happening all over the show that are bombarded to us every single day. You've got massive culture shifts that are happening. Okay, Western sexual ethics and norms have changed at a rapid rate. One U.K. politician in 2014 said they were against gay marriage. 2015 said they were for gay marriage. 2016, they said anyone who is against gay marriage is harmful to other people. That is a radical shift And we are bombarded with these radical shifts every single day. Culture is changing. You add to that, because of that probably, political polarization in the West. All right? That includes fake news. It includes conspiracy theories. It includes massive clickbaity, hyper-real titles that get you to click on all the articles. Then you've got global power shifts. You've got this massive just shift that is happening in the world. West to East, China, rising power, all this stuff. It massively... um, uh, it, it discombobulates you. Um, what you knew about the world, your bearings on the world are changing. Now, that's not, this is not necessarily a bad thing. This is just a reality. You've got to remember, if an individual changes rapidly, it doesn't really affect the world, typically. If the world changes rapidly, that has massive impact on individuals. And that's what's happening. That's what's happening. You've got globalization. So you've got um, much more migration. You've got the world becoming a global village. So um, national borders are becoming much more porous. You've got changing cultures and a cultural diffusion that is happening. You go to anywhere in the world and you'll find pockets of like 60 cultures, which we didn't have in the past. And what that's causing in general is a loss of place, a sense of place, a loss of history, a loss of uh, lineage, a loss of um, this is my home. The concept of home is radically disappearing for the next generation. Things that have historically given us meaning, um, identity, purpose, are just being removed because of just the effects of globalization. We've got instant access and unlimited options. Okay, so first of all, just think, because of the global village situation pre-COVID, um, you were able to travel all over the show. Like, there was no... Like, James Bond movies in the 60s showed you all these exotic locations that you could see if you went to the movie. Pretty much, I reckon half the people in this room have traveled to about 30 locations that James Bond traveled to uh, for ages. We are encouraged to travel, to move from city to city, to move from job to job. And what it is doing is increasing restlessness and it's increasing rootlessness. We're losing our sense of who we are and where we are. And you add to, to, to all of this just unlimited, on-demand access of what to watch, what to wear, what to buy, what to read. Okay, Netflix, take a lot. Honestly, when I was a kid growing up, um, I, I was on a farm, granted, so the video store wasn't close to me. But if I wanted to watch a movie that night, it was whatever was on Movie Magic. There was no such thing as even Movie Magic 2. And um, my, like, six VHS that I had. That was it. That's what I chose. Now, 10 bucks. Many of you have spent uh, half an hour to an hour just scrolling through Showmax or Netflix and being like, yeah, nah, nah. And if you're married, it's even worse. You're like, no, I don't want to. Okay, fine. Keep going. Keep going. 
It's crazy. It's crazy. You add on top of this radical individualism. You've got an endless options now of not just what you can eat on Mr. Delivery or watch, etc., etc. You've got an endless options of who you can be. And endless options of who you can be. No longer do you receive an identity from your parents, your culture. You don't even have the markers that we used to have. Our bodies are not even markers of, of who we are anymore. You can choose to be absolutely anything you want. And so what we've done is we've ramped up freedom and we've radically tanked uh, meaning and we've radically tanked, uh, tanked stability, all adding to our anxiety. Then we throw in 2007, we throw in the smartphone. I haven't even touched on this part yet. The smartphone. You've got excessive access to everything I've just mentioned. So global political crisis, this happening, this globalization, all your actors on your phone, in your hand, every single second of your day. Here's just truth. This is going to be crazy. You can watch a mass shooting taken place, streamed by the shooter live onto Facebook. Has happened. Has happened. I've not watched them live, but I've watched them recorded. That is the intensity of imagery that's coming to you just on your phone that you can access every single second of the day. There's just a sense of disembodiment. Unlimited options, unlimited data give us a sense of omniscience and omnipresence that human beings, quite simply, were just not designed to shoulder. Those are godlike things which we, which we have taken on ourselves. And the screen time stats, the screen time and mental health stats are just so clear and so evident. After 2007 in the iPhone, you're seeing anxiety, depression, suicide rates going crazy. On top of that, if you just look at screen time usage, pretty much every stat, whether whatever age group, whatever one of those things, anxiety, depression, suicide, you'll see they're all J-curves. You spend one hour on screen time a day, the, the curve goes down. But as soon as you hit two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight hours some people are spending on devices... It just goes radically up. It goes radically, radically up. And one of the biggest things on smartphones is social media. We've got the ability to self-promote. We've got the ability to um, uh, create and recreate identities and maintain our identities. And every time someone likes and shares or whatever, we get a dopamine hit, which keeps it going and going and going. Plus, we're trying to do crazy things like contribute to online conflicts overseas on our social media things. Things that, sorry, everybody, but you really have hardly any chance of impacting them. But we will share and post and like and change our profile picture and invest in a million things that we can't control and neglect a million things we can control. It's sending anxiety through the roof, whether it's Democrats and Republicans or Israel and Palestine. And because we consistently are engaging with these things on social media, we're getting more and more into silos and echo chambers of particular um, political stances or ideologies. And the algorithms on Facebook just send you more and more and more down those paths into more and more extreme views. So all of a sudden, you're over here, and anyone who is slightly to this side of you is a freaking extremist on the other side because we're just hearing the most extreme polarized voices. Social media is affecting us all especially young girls who were born after 1996. The stats are radical of how much it's affecting them. Uh, Lee Morn was sharing with, sharing with me this weekend. Um, four high school girls, possibly five, I think, in the last four to five weeks in the Cape Town area have committed suicide. This is a pandemic. It's a pandemic. And it's all been super, super fast. We are in a, a volatile cultural moment. And one more thing I want to jump on here because it's really going to start to affect 
the Gen Zers amongst us and the generations who will be in our pews in the next year, two years, three years, is um, three great untruths that guys speak about that um, the next generation is believing. And I'll unpack them right now. But by the way, what I've been trying to summarize here are two books, and I'm going to put them in the link to the podcast tomorrow. Um, Strange Days by Mark Sayers, Life in the Spirit in a Time of Upheaval, Christian cultural commentator, and The Coddling of the American Mind by Jonathan Haidt and another guy's name who I can't remember. Um, secular, secular authors um, diagnosing the anxiety crisis not only on U.S. campuses, um, varsity campuses, but also all around the world. So, and I've, they put language to the life that I've experienced. So, three untruths which are increasingly causing more emotional harm and anxiety. The untruth of fragility. What doesn't kill you makes you weaker. This is being consistently taught culturally in education circles and being believed by younger and younger people. Now, the truth is children, young adults, um, young people growing up, we're actually anti-fragile. That's how we grow. When something um, negative impacts us, typically with obviously some obvious exceptions, we actually are strengthened. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger is the actual truth that a million different wisdom traditions throughout time have, have noticed. You grow through conflict, trial, mistakes, consequences. But what's happening is through a whole bunch of things, um, one of them the idea of concept creep, which essentially is you take a, a concept like trauma or harm or violence and you expand the definition down and you expand the definition outward. So basically what, what used to be considered trauma, you just make something lesser, 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 and you add in a whole bunch of other things. And what's happening is the next generation, myself included as a millennial, we have started to believe that we are more fragile than we actually are. And the more we try and protect each other and ourselves with good intentions from that, the more harm and anxiety it's causing. Jonathan Hyde said it, it pathologizes everyday experiences and encourages a sense of virtuous but impotent victimhood, which leads to catastrophizing catastrophizing, that things are worse than they actually seem. Oh, things, things seem worse than they actually are, sorry. Whatever that might be. It could be interactions with people. It could be things that you haven't even seen, that, that aren't even there, but you are projecting forward that is coming. It's, it's what psycholo psychologists call a cognitive distortion. And it's leading to people overreacting to offenses and freaking out about things we probably don't need to. You add on to that the untruth of emotional reasoning. Always trust your feelings. My goodness, if I had uh, uh, 10 rand for every time we've heard that in the last 20 years on our TVs, social media, whatever it is, I would be Bill Gates, honestly. But what this does, friends, what this does is if you combine the first one and the third one and the second one, what's going to happen is you're going to start to interpret people in the least charitable way possible in interactions. It's happening all the time. You ascribe the worst intent to people's actions towards you. It lowers the bar of offense, and so people are offended more easily, and people are more afraid of offending people. We're walking on eggshells around each other, particularly on social media. We've forgotten intent. Intent no longer matters. It's just impact. It's just impact. doesn't matter what you intended. It just matters how I feel and how I interpret you, and I will tell the world about it. It's raising massive anxiety amongst our young people. And lastly, us versus them. Life is a battle between good people and bad people. We're not all good, and we're not all bad, says this untruth. No, there are these guys and these guys, or uh, uh, an intersection of these guys and these guys. And all we're doing is, is putting people into groups of oppressor and victim. 
and bad interpretations of things like that. And all it's doing is increasing tribalism. It's pushing things to the extreme. It's, it's creating identity confusion among young people. I'm no longer myself. All I am is a, a conglomerate of a bunch of things people say about me, my various identities, and I'm just trapped in those. I've got imputed guilt, and there's nothing I can do to get it, to get it off me. And all it's doing is pushing common enemy humanity, uh, identity politics instead of common humanity identity politics all leading to what we know so well, cancel culture. That's where cancel culture comes from, the combination of all these things. So friends, it's not just what happens to us externally that causes anxiety. I would say even more so, it's how we process those things internally that can affect our anxiety levels. And so, the truth is, some of us are going to be more prone to anxiety than others. I'm one of them. That's okay. But let me say this. It is 100% okay to not be okay. We have to say that this has to be a safe space, this community. It's okay to not be okay. But the consequences of each and, each and every one of our own anxieties affects other people and can have disastrous effects. And so it's okay to not be okay. It's not okay to stay there. Otherwise, God wouldn't have written half the things he's written in his Bible for us. And so we have to tackle it holistically. When I was diagnosed with my anxiety disorder, my doctor said, look, you got this quadrant, and we've got to deal with it on all fronts. We got medication, the physical exercise, uh, mental and spiritual con- contemplative. That's, this is how he described it. And, um, I mean, each of these can be a massive lecture. But um, medication, we, we want to make sure this is not stigmatized. We don't want to cause people to rush onto medication too quickly. We don't want people to jump off medication too quickly either. And then physical if we all got more physical exercise, myself included, our anxiety would, uh, would lessen. That's just a statistical fact. Okay, Paul even said to Timothy, physical exercise is of some value. So it's even in the Bible. Um, but what we're going to do tonight, we're going to just camp on these two, mental and the spiritual, because that's what Paul is unpacking in this passage from Philippians, which we're going to look at right now. Um, but remember, God wants to help us. He wants to move us forward. And the fact that we've unpacked a lot of where this anxiety comes from makes so much sense of when you read what Paul's going to tell us now, you can see the dots joining clearly. Um, and so it's amazing to just see what God has written 2,000 years ago speaks into the 21st century anxiety pandemic today. So let's get into this. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I, um, I'll be honest, I don't have much for you apart from the person, the words, and the work of Jesus. That's what I'm offering you today. I believe we've got good news for you. I believe if you, if you trust in Christ, you follow him, you start worshiping him, I believe that that is um, for your good, for your benefit. So just dial in, listen in to what he has for you today. Let's go. Three, trust me, that was probably the longest part of my message. Three promises from God to believe. Three promises from God to believe. The first one's this, you'll see it there. The Lord is at hand. The Lord is at hand. Friends, if you're a Christ follower, remember this. Jesus is coming back to wrap up this age, to set up his kingdom, to judge the living and the dead. Um, And anyone who trusts in him, who knows him, who loves him, who has been redeemed by his blood because you've trusted in him by faith, are going to be with him in that world forever. Those who have rejected him, his life, his love, will remain in their sin, unforgiven, and pay for it themselves if they don't want Jesus to pay for it. Now, every single day is a day closer to that day. And if you're a follower of Jesus, if you know him, if you love him, that is very good news. Every single breath you take is a moment closer to that day coming. Okay? A world without sin, a world without death, a world without sickness. I know that means that just that line alone means so much to some of you right now. 
a world where all wrongs are righted. A time's coming where no one will get away with anything. Whatever has been done to you negatively and harmfully in the past, ultimately no one will get away with anything. No one will be in need. No one will be longing for another world or another life. The Lord is at hand. He is coming. He is coming. Believe that. It is good news. That'll change your perspective. But that's not all. That's not all. Jesus is not only at hand when he comes. He's at hand right now. He is near to you and I right now. By the the power and presence of his Holy Spirit, he lives inside of you. Each and every one of you, no matter where you are, can talk to God at any time. You don't need to go up a mountain or come into the church building. You have access to God. And remember, Jesus right now is praying for you. Jesus right now at this moment is praying for you. He is praying to the Father on your behalf. He's mediating for you right now. He is covering your sins in prayer because you've already trusted by him in faith. He is turning God's favorable disposition towards you every single moment of your life. That's what Jesus is doing for you right now. He's your counselor. He is your comforter. He empathizes with you. Why? Because Jesus didn't just stay up in heaven. Remember, we spoke about it two weeks ago. Jesus left his heavenly domain. He came to earth and he fused himself with humanity. He is still fused with humanity to this day. And he has walked the dusty roads and he has felt anxiety and pain and rejection and betrayal and all sorts of things. He knows what you are going through and he is an ear ready to listen. He knows what it's like to be anxious. And so remember, the Lord is at hand. Jesus is at hand. Believe that. Friends, if we just believed that, that would change so much. If we just believed those things to our core, that would change so much. It is an unconditional promise. That is an unconditional promise. You don't need to do a thing for that to be true and for that to impact you. And if you don't know Jesus today, I want to urge you to recognize that you need him, that you are a sinner who is disconnected from God And you will have to pay for your own sin if you don't trust that what Jesus did on the cross can pay for your sin instead of you doing it yourself. Trust in Jesus and you'll get access to his presence. You will be restored into relationship with him. And the fact that he is coming to judge the living and the dead and wrap up this world will be a good thing for you. I can't say that enough. I can't say that enough. So that's the first promise. The Lord is at hand. The second two are a little different. Okay, The peace of God will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus and the God of peace will be with you. They sound kind of similar. Now, first of all, God is, is always with us in, in, in some shape or form. I've just, I've just spoken about it. <coughs> if we're his, he is living in us by his spirit. He's never going to leave you. He's never going to forsake you. <clears throat> but the peace of God that Paul chats about here, which surpasses all understanding, it is something supernatural. It's something that's beyond explanation. It's something that can come to you in times where it's actually impossible for you to figure out the situation. Some of us are going to go to bed tonight with looming things in the back of our mind that are keeping us up, things that we are actually unable to solve and figure out, which obviously causes anxiety. And this is why it's, it's, a, it's a supernatural peace that surpasses understanding because there's no way that you can resolve the anxiety by trying to think it through. And that is what he is saying is Available. When he says the God of peace, he's trying to highlight that aspect of God. Okay? Obviously, God is magnificent. God is holy. God is just. But he's trying to say the God who is also peace will manifest that part of his character to you. He will come and make sure that you know it and experience it and that you recognize it. But the difference between these two promises and the first one is that they're conditional promises. 
They're conditional promises. Um, they don't just happen. Now, don't get me wrong. When, when, if we pray for people this evening to be relieved of anxiety. Sometimes God and his goodness and grace just breaks through. And I reckon there's a bunch of us in this room who've maybe experienced that, where, where you just needed it, and God just came through. And he, he, just re, he just removed your anxieties in that moment. And he does that. But what he's talking about here, actually, is... <clears throat> there's this massive word, and, that becomes, that's before both of them, and the peace of God, and the God of peace. So what comes before the and? Well, Paul is saying, you need to give yourself to X, Y, Z. You need to, to, to lay hold of and do X, Y, Z, and then the God of peace will be with you, and the peace that surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. So what is it that comes before those ands? And it's the five commands. It's the five commands that we see in this passage from God. So the five commands from God to obey. And I, often we think of obedience and we think, oh my gosh, this, this, this God who's a taskmaster and just wants me to obey, he's doing it to, re, to, to remove anxiety, to help us deal with anxiety. So remember that God's rules are for freedom. He loves us, which is why he writes this stuff. So let's go. Um, number, one, uh, number one command, um, don't be anxious about anything. <laughs> cool. Just don't be anxious. You feeling anxious? Just stop it. Just stop it. I reckon that's probably, psychologists would probably say, that's probably the worst advice you can ever give anybody. I'm really worried about someone. Just stop it. Just stop it. You'll be fine. <laughs> is that what he's saying? Is that, I don't think that's what he's saying. He, he, is, he is giving a command. Don't be anxious about anything. Jesus also does this in the Sermon on the Mount. Um, <coughs> my friend Garth messaged me this week. He said, just remember to tell your people um, anxiety is a sin. Um, Jesus said, don't do it. Um, but no, um, this is sort of a passive command. It's a passive command. What he's saying is, um, don't do this. Rather, replace this with these other things. And so command number one is a passive command to say, rather than doing this, do two, three, four, and five. And so on that note, let's go swiftly on to number two, which is this. Rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoicing and anxiety are basically like um, oil and water. They typically don't mix. If you typically are just feeling super anxious, doubtful you're rejoicing. And if you are just rejoicing, I doubt you are also feeling super anxious in that moment. That's just, that's just how it works. Um, but you might say, okay, so I'm super anxious. How am I meant to rejoice? And this is what Paul highlights here. He says, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. What we have to learn to do, and it's, it's going to be a, uh, an ongoing growth thing for all of us, is we consistently need to learn to speak to our own souls, to speak to our hearts, to chat to ourselves, um, and fill our hearts and fill our minds with good, beautiful truths about the Lord. Okay, so go read Psalm 103. The psalmist literally says, Bless the Lord, O my soul. I mean, we sang about it tonight. Bless the Lord, O my soul. That is not talking to someone else. The psalmist is talking to himself. Bless the Lord, soul. Bless the Lord. Forget not all his benefits. Kyle, forget not how good God has been. Forget not that he has given you every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. I reckon a great piece of homework is for each and every one of us to go and grab Psalm 103, print it out, and um, memorize it. Memorize it. Uh, I think I'm going to try to do that. Memorize it and meditate on it. And for goodness sakes, what we can't do is listen to pop psychology. Do not listen to pop psychology, which tells you to look within yourself, and you will find exactly what you need. 
That's literally part of the problem, is that a whole generation, we're looking inside ourselves and we're coming up short because all we're seeing is fragility and anxiety and ups and downsness and freaking out and um, self-loathing. Of course we're anxious. We're doing the, the, the exact opposite thing. Don't rejoice in yourself. Don't look inside. We're fickle. We're irrational creatures. We are. We're anxious Positive thinking is not going to help us. It's going to hurt us more. It's part of the problem. The key is to literally do the opposite. Look inside and recognize your sinfulness. Recognize your common humanity. That you are one of eight billion people who have fallen short of the glory of God. You're one of them. Recognize your plight. Recognize your rebellion against God. And then recognize how awesome God is that he came and died for you in spite of that. The gospel, friends, is not you are so legit that God said, I need to die for these people because they are amazing. It's literally the opposite of that. We are so sinful and so rebellious and so evil That in spite of that, because of his great love and compassion and mercy for us, God got off his throne, became a poor peasant, and died a terrible death. That is the gospel. That is the truth. That's what we need to rejoice in. Rejoice in the Lord who forgives all your iniquity, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles, who works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed, the God who is merciful and gracious, who is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, the God who remembers that we are are dust. That's the God we need to rejoice in. A guy came to me after the meeting today and he said, you know what the Greek word for joy is and means? It is to remember grace. Remember grace. Rejoice in the Lord. Remember. Remember. Cast your mind onto the goodness and beauty of God. And remember, unlike you and I, our feelings go up and down. The world around us goes up and down. God is a rock. He does not change. And for those of you who might be stuck in anxiety and think that you cannot change and there's no hope for you, friends, the only being in the world who doesn't change is God. And that's good news for our journeys of change and it's good news for when we want to just clutch onto him because he's not going anywhere. We can depend on him. So rejoice in the Lord. Every breath a human takes is a gift of grace. The wages of sin is death, both physical and spiritual. So the fact that you are walking and talking and breathing is something to be thankful for. Rigby said it a, a, a few weeks ago, didn't he, in his sermon. He said, if anybody asks a Christian, how's your day going? All of us should be able to say, better than I deserve. Better than I deserve. And the truth is, psychologically, people who are... Um, often feeling that they deserve more, that they deserve better, that they are entitled, are far more prone to anxiety. Those people who believe that in whatever situation they are getting better than they deserve will tend towards joy. So if you believe what I'm just saying, and it's complete bull, it'll it'll help you. That's the truth. It'll literally, if you literally just believe, if all of this is a lie, if there's no such person as Jesus, but you just believe that it, it actually would psychologically probably help you. But it's true. Go and do the research. A man rose from the dead 2,000 years ago. He is alive. He is with us. He is for us. That is transformative. 
believe it. Believe it, believe it, believe it. Rejoice in the Lord always and keep saying to yourself, I will rejoice. I will rejoice. Number three. Command number three. Bring gentleness, reasonableness, forbearance to people. So the word that is here in the ESV as reasonableness, other translations will say gentleness or forbearance. Actually, I think it's a kind of a combination of all three. This is what Paul's getting at here. We need to learn to be self-controlled and not emotionally reactive. We need to learn to be gentle people with others. We need to learn and train ourselves to not be easily offended. We need to learn and grow in being humble and considering others better than ourselves all the time. We need a spirit of charitability, if that's a word. Be charitable. <laughs> Interpret people in the best light possible. Do your best to, to fill the gap with trust. Avoid cynicism and, 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 and bring reasonableness to the moment. Don't jump to conclusions. Don't jump to worst-case scenarios. We need to learn to take thoughts captive and train ourselves by the grace of God because being cynical, reacting quickly, reasoning emotionally, pride, lowering your own bar for offense is just going to raise your anxiety levels. The stats are in. The stats are in. Maybe you want to go to the Proverbs. Proverbs has amazing stuff on this. Here's two of my favorites. Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. It is your glory when you are offended to overlook it, and it'll help your anxiety. Hatred stirs up strife. Where do you think that leads? But love covers all offenses. This is beautiful, beautiful truth. And if you need help doing this, remember, Jesus did this, and Jesus still does this. You and I have spat in his face and rejected him, and we strung him up on a cross. And he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I've come to love them and serve them and die for them. And he covers our offenses with his blood. He's done that for each and every one of you. Allow that to shape you. Allow that to mold you. That'll serve us. Number four, bring your requests to God with thanksgiving. Uh, leader and friend of mine at Rondebosch, the day after I had a massive panic attack, I was still literally on my bed, kind of shivering, and he just said, Carl, you don't dump things on God enough. He's like, you just, you just think through everything, you're trying to hold things. You need to learn to dump your stuff on God. Take it to God. And we often get this mixed up. Uh, Paul said there, let your reasonableness be known to people. Take your stuff to God. And we often think it's a sign of sort of authenticity to just vent all our stuff to people, trusting that they will say the magic word or the magic prayer or the magic advice that'll just change your life. I've done it. We'll do it. We have to go to God. We have to go to God with our situations and our prayers and our requests and bring them to him. And remember, most of the things that we get anxious about, we have no control over. And often other people can't actually help you. So in all honesty, the rational thing is to say, where else are we going to go? What else are we actually going to do? We need to go to God. We need to go to God. And the word supplication means a weaker being going to a stronger being, asking for help. And so we need to go, and we need to ask, and we need to knock, and we need to ask for help in the things that we need. So I, I don't think we just, he's just necessarily like, stop my anxiety. No, God, we need provision. We are, our back is up against the wall here, God. Please provide. God, please break in with healing. God, we need a miracle. Do something. Intervene. We need an open door. 
at its core, anxiety is, is, is fear, it's worry on steroids, and it's a lack of trust in God. Ultimately, it's a lack of trust in God. And supplication and prayer and bringing requests to our God is an act of the opposite. I've just forgotten what the word is. <laughs> what is it again? Trust. I went blank. I'm not on my meds. Um, it's an act of trust. It's an act of trust. That's what it is. We ask him, and then we, we leave it with him, and we trust him to do what he wants, to not necessarily give us what we've asked for, but the all-knowing, all-powerful, all-wise God who sees all things and is working all things for the good of those who love him and is working out his counsel. We trust that he knows what he's doing. And again, if we need help doing that, if we need help bringing requests to God with thanksgiving. Just remember Jesus. Literally the night before, okay, always consistently Jesus was giving thanks. We're breaking this bread. We're giving thanks. We've healed this person. We're giving thanks. The night before his death, he's at the Last Supper and he thanks his father for the people that has been given to him. And then moments later, he goes out into the Garden of Gethsemane. He's approaching his arrest, trial, and crucifixion. He is so anxious. He's sweating blood and he comes to God and he prays. He says, Father, if there's any way to save those people 2,000 years ago in Seapoint, if there's any way to do it other than me dying on the cross and bearing your wrath on their behalf, let's do that. But nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And God, God did his will, and Jesus still went to the cross. And we're sitting here, with a glorious future because of that. Jesus has modeled this at the moment of most desperate need. And God came through in the big way. Friends, humility comes from thankfulness and gratefulness. When we recognize our own sinfulness, when we recognize that the line between good and evil runs through every human heart, it softens us. It changes the way we deal with people and situations. It literally, again, it rewires our brains and our hearts. It realigns us with reality. If you, are, if you are struggling with anxiety, often you forget that there's any good going on at all. And so we need to learn, myself included, to spot and remember and write down every single good thing. And this kind of leads to the last thing. Command number five, think on and practice some particular things. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And what you've heard and learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Whatever is true, not whatever you feel in the moment, whatever is true, make sure you know it's true. Otherwise, you'll, you'll run ahead of a whole bunch of things and cause anxiety. Stop, avoid assumptions. Stop stewing on the possible motives and reasons for why the person did that thing or said that thing. Align your mind with reality. And remember, think on anything that's worthy of praise. That you're a child of God, that you're redeemed, that your coffee was warm, that the surf was awesome, that there is a mountain. If anything is worthy of praise and excellence, think about these things. Take the anxious thoughts and actively replace them with other things. It's called the renewal of your mind. The band's going to come up and we're going to respond in a song and create a gap for anybody, honestly, to uh, receive prayer. 
specifically, I think tonight I would love to pray uh, around this thing, but also trust that God's going to uh, minister to people where, where you are, where you're sitting right now. Um, so why don't you stand? And I just want to remind us that, especially the younger generation, we are, we are driving so hard to, to put out identities and, and prove ourselves to people and, and, and recreate ourselves. There's so much pressure to do that. And we need to remember, and, and especially in, in our generation where we've lost the trade that came from our father and we've lost our sense of sometimes culture and home and land, we need to remember that we have received an identity from Jesus. Right now, Jesus says, you don't need to spend your whole time freaking out trying to create an identity. I have an identity for you. Receive it in humility and grace, and it'll free you. You are forgiven. You are a son. You are a daughter. You have every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. You are a co-heir with Christ. Your destiny is secure. Your past has been dealt with. Father God, we want to receive freshly the identities that you have placed on us. Remind us tonight of who we are. For every single person, myself included, who is struggling or struggles with anxiety, help us to believe your promises, God. By your Spirit, God, work in us to will, to desire, to trust you and help us actively partner with you to renew our minds to be transformed by the renewal of our minds to take thoughts captive to bring our burdens to you and trust you to guard our hearts and minds with a peace that surpasses all understanding God I pray for this to be an increasing reality in my life and the lives of my brothers and sisters here tonight Let there be a renewal journey that we go on. That in five, ten years' time, we are able to serve and love those around us in the next generation because of the way you have changed us. Some of us will always wrestle with this, God. Help us to settle that now, to not self-condemn, but to receive grace freshly and remember that you are at hand. Let's sing together.